0: I would tell them to take their sons back. We are also sorry for them.
1: They are also humans. I'm Anderson Cooper. For the past two weeks I've been in Lviv, Ukraine, which is a relatively safe area in the west of the country where many of the hundreds of thousands of people fleeing here transit through. We're witnessing not only a horrifically brutal war, but it's also become the fastest growing refugee crisis in Europe since World War
2: II. We are doing what we can. We keep on praying. People ask how you are not crying. But you know, crying doesn't help.
1: The phrase tug of war is interesting to me, because I've felt the tug of war for much of my life. And when I started out as a young reporter in my early 20s, It was covering a famine and conflict in Somalia, and I went on to Sarajevo in South Africa, briefly in Rwanda during the genocide. So in the next few editions of this podcast, I wanted to speak to some of my colleagues here in Ukraine to hear not just their assessment of the war and what they've been seeing, but their thoughts on why they're here and how they do their jobs. Today, I'm talking with CNN's chief international correspondent, Clarissa Ward, about her outstanding reporting what makes her want to be here right now. From CNN, this is Tug of War. Let me know when you're good, Clarissa.
2: I'm good, I'm good. I'm ready for you, you, you I'll let you lead.
1: Oh, okay, great. So it's Tuesday late afternoon in Ukraine. I'm in Lviv, which is in the west of the country, closer to the Polish border. Clarissa Ward is in Kyiv. How long have you been in the country, Clarissa?
2: So we've been here since about mid-January now. We went home for a week in February. But um, yeah, it's, it's been roughly six weeks or so.
1: When the, the war actually started, you were in Kharkiv, right?
2: That's right. We were driving to Kharkiv. It was just getting dark. And we got a call off the record from our Washington people warning us that the expectation was that the war was going to start that night at around 4 a.m. Moscow time. It ended up starting a little bit later. But um, sure enough, hours later, we found ourselves on the balcony of our hotel with bombs and strikes going off in the distance at the beginning of this crazy, senseless, surreal war.
1: So what is, uh, I mean, a day like for you? How do you decide where you're going to go each day, if you can go out, where to go, how long to stay
2: so usually I finish your show at around four in the morning and then we I, get I should up point at nine. out you're
1: operating in two different time zones I mean because you're operating on a. US television schedule and so you have to think in US time but at the same time you're, we're, you're you need daylight hours to shoot often and there's curfews and stuff so you're also operating in the time zone here which is seven hours ahead of the, the east coast of the US
2: Exactly which which basically means there's there's not a lot of time for sleep. Um, But that's okay, because this is a really important story. Um, So we wake up around nine, and we start to look at what's been happening in and around the capital. For the most part, over the last week, it's the suburbs of Kiev that have been getting hit the hardest, day in, day out, just terrible bombardment, particularly in a suburb called Irpin, which is where we visited a few days ago. Now, since we've been here, we have heard non-stop heavy artillery coming from that direction, also that direction. You can imagine how petrified these people are. A bridge that the Ukrainians destroyed in an effort to stop Russian forces from moving in and now has become this sort of mangled, twisted metal is the only way that people are literally climbing across to try to get to relative safety of the center of the city and out of these suburbs that are just getting brutally hit.
1: I'm not sure, how how long were you at the bridge for?
2: We were at the bridge for a couple of hours and it was immediately clear, it was just an extraordinary scene because these weren't soldiers. These people didn't have weapons. These are ordinary civilians, people carrying their children, their pets, trying to help elderly people cross the river through this destroyed bridge. They were completely traumatized. You see, the people are so exhausted. They can barely walk. Many of them, as you can see, are elderly. They're visibly distressed. It's just an awful, awful scene. And, and these people are the lucky ones. Everyone you started talking to almost immediately just crumpled into tears, trying to take stock of the horror that they have been living through because most of them have been trapped underground. They have no electricity, no heating. It's freezing cold here. They have very little food. And then there's just been endless raining down of artillery. They're petrified of Russian forces that have been moving around these areas. I interviewed a man today who just escaped a hotel owner, and he said that Russian soldiers had come to his hotel, had taken all his money, had tried to strip off any valuables that they could. So they're dealing with so many threats, Anderson. It's not just the threat of potentially being hurt or killed by a shell or a bomb. It's the threat of being robbed, having your place looted. It's the threat of not knowing how you're going to eat, of not having any heat. And then the fear of not knowing how on earth you're going to get out. Hmm. Because for many of them, they waited days and days, some of them 10 days, trapped underground, just desperately waiting for some small window of quiet or relative quiet that would allow them to attempt to flee safely.
1: I should point out that in your report when you were there, I mean, there are these lovely moments where as you're talking to the camera, you're also, you know, talking to elderly people who are passing you by, kind of giving a hand to an elderly lady who was clearly just... um, you know, confused, and as as everybody is here, and uh, an elderly man. I think kind of you helped him up up an embankment.
2: Well, he sort of grabbed me, to be honest. He 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 grabbed my hand, and you know that's one of those moments, Anderson, where it's like, and you know this, <laughs> you're you're a journalist, but you're a human being first, right? So, if an elderly person grabs your hand, or an old woman is in tears and asking for help. I'm just gonna help her carry this bag a second excuse me while we try to uh <laughs> you 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 put the reporting aside for a minute and you help them out
1: I, I you know this podcast is called tug of war, and when I heard the name of it, the thing I actually kind of most was interested in is the 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 tug of war, not on the geopolitical sense, um, but the personal sense for you and Mm. for everybody who covers wars. I'm wondering, do you feel that tug of, you're sitting at home in, I think you live in London, you're sitting at home and you see in the newspaper a little mention of a bomb that goes off in Myanmar or Mm. something. And do you feel that tug of, wanting to be there?
2: Uh, For me personally, I absolutely do. And it's not born out of a sort of addiction to adrenaline or a need for excitement or adventure. I honestly feel, and I've really seen this in Ukraine, that when you're in war zones, you see the worst of humanity, but you also see the best of humanity. You see extraordinary acts of courage playing out every day. People who three days ago were accountants are now stepping in to this unimaginable chasm of horror and showing such resilience and strength and defiance. I mean, let's just talk for a second about people going up to Russian tanks, climbing on them, waving Ukrainian flags, singing the national anthem, Russian soldiers opening fire on crowds, and they're still standing there, and they're still defiant. That is like courage that I can't even fathom, honestly, and which is a huge part of why I feel so compelled to come to places like Ukraine, but to be here and to tell these stories and to document this incredible resistance
1: part of the tug for me has always been, uh, I feel somewhat awkward in regular life and disconnected in many ways and, uh, kind of an observer in things. And in a situation like this, um, things are real. They are honest. They are raw. Everything's exposed. There's no bullshit. It is all just human and elemental and there's a purity to it of just mm-hmm. it's people who are in need and people whose lives are upended and wanting to bear witness to it and and be there where it's where it's just it's just it's true. it's I mean it's it's just it's it's gutting and it's awful, uh, but it's real and it's it's I don't know, yeah there, uh, there's not a lot of that in the modern world.
2: No, I think that's really true. Everything is stripped down. I mean, you use the word elemental there, and elemental is exactly it. This is what life is about on a certain level, right? You see these sort of fundamental undercurrents of what drives us as human Mm -hmm. beings. Love, sacrifice, courage, anger, rage. You see it all in stark contrast laid out before you.
1: More with Clarissa Ward from Kyiv in a moment.
0: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: One of the things you wrote in this book you wrote, uh, I think it was in 2020, On All Fronts, the, the Education of a Journalist, you wrote a line that has always stuck with me, and I, I, I wrote it down just to remind myself of it. You were talking about doing this work, You said, I didn't realize that I would have my heart broken in a hundred different ways, that I would lose friends and watch children die, and that I would grow to feel an alien in my own skin. I didn't understand that the privilege of witnessing history came at a price. Can you just talk about, I mean, again, you're here to cover a story of people who are, you know, facing life and death. And so to talk about oneself is something sometimes Mm. fraught in a situation like this. But can you talk about a little bit about that price that you feel... Um, that personal price. Cause I mean, you, you have, you're a new mom as I'm a new dad. Yeah, I assume that is part yeah. of the price.
2: Yeah. I mean, definitely. And I actually, I was feeling for you so much Anderson when this all started and you flew out here and I know how your son was born two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I mean, three
1: weeks ago. No, yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I, I like a little part of me really aches for you because I, it's a, you know, it's a visceral thing to be separated from your from your little ones, um, particularly when they're so tiny. I think when I started out, when you're young, you have this feeling of invincibility, right? And you are driven and you feel you have a calling, but you don't yet have any sense of the reality of war and the horror sure. of war because it's so... Sometimes glamorized in, you know, we read stories of Martha Gellhorn and Ernest Hemingway, and 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 it sounds like kind of heady stuff. And then the reality, uh, when you experience it and you live it, is that it's not only pure horror in many cases and real fear in others, but there's also an element of it, it's a grind right it's it's really hard work it's no sleep it's waiting around a lot it's getting frustrated and then it's the challenge when you've been doing it for a while of going back home and being present for your loved ones which is so hard because yeah. half of you is still in the place that you left and half of you is feeling, you know, survivor's guilt, basically. Why do I get to come home and have a lovely meal and be around my loved ones in my nice house? And other people are shivering in basements under bombardment, separated from their loved ones. I mean, it's really hard. When you experience that fundamentally, it becomes so hard to make sense of the randomness of, of privilege, of luck. Uh,
1: Yeah, I used to think that I I would come home, I remember coming home from Rwanda, I briefly was there during the genocide, and I got home and uh, some friends invited me to like a dinner party that I foolishly went to and thinking I should be social. And uh, I remember just sitting there, unable to speak to people, just feeling like I didn't speak the same language as as Mm. other people. And all I wanted to do was just pick up and Go back somewhere, anywhere else, but but you know the life I was living at at the time. I I remember you saying that, or you talked about sometimes viewing viewing yourself as like a trauma surgeon in in terms of how you yeah. have to you know you're seeing with one part of your brain as a human being you are seeing. Uh, horrors and talking to people and relating to them. And in the other half of your brain, you're a reporter and you're trying to think about, okay, how does this fit in the story I'm going to tell? And, and so you have to sort of have multiple parts of your brain working in, in from different perspectives. But I, I imagine, I think it's hard to, I mean, trauma surgeons are notoriously cold. And I think hmm. you, part of this job is you can't be that because you do have to Open yourself up to the person you're talking to to some extent, so that at the 100%. very least they feel a, a connection to you. That you're not that you're that you're a vessel who can receive their story and do it justice. Mm. You have to let them know that that they have to look in your eyes and see that you are present.
2: You have to be present. You have to be. And sometimes I think that's the hardest part of the job, because as you said, you have this mindset. Exactly what you're talking about. I need to get a cutaway. I need to have an interview. I need to have a piece to camera. Can we get the live view out? There's 5,000 things you're thinking about logistically. But at the end of the day, your job is to be present and to record the testimony of people who are living through this. And... And that is the most important thing, that sense of, and, and sometimes it's like not even when the camera's rolling. And I have to check myself because someone will come up and start talking to you and you're like, oh, I'm trying to organize. And then I have to remind myself, no, this is my job. Even if the camera isn't rolling, my job right now is to look at you and hear your story. And in some way, even if the camera isn't rolling, I'm going to learn from your story. I'm going to share your story. And it's going to inform my understanding of the bigger picture here. And the minute you find yourself like going onto autopilot, you got to check yourself and take a break. Um, Because fundamentally, I really believe that's what the job is all about. Um, And you know, I, 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 you know, we always grapple. I think a little bit as correspondents working in disaster zones, working in conflict zones with the whole when to be a human, when to be a journalist, when to be professional. But I feel like I've been doing this long enough that I'm like, and also I honestly, like following the example of people like you as well, like if someone needs a hug, I'm going to give them a hug. If someone needs a hand, I'm going to give them a hand. If someone needs to take a minute, I'm going to give them a minute, right? It is possible to be a human and to do this job. What you can't do, though, is lose it, right? You can't totally lose your cool and start sobbing. As much as all of us have felt the urge to do that on occasion, you can be moved, but you've got to keep it together. And partly you've got to keep it together for the people who are talking to you. Because if you collapse, then you can't do the job anymore,
1: and I, I struggle with that more now that I have kids. I found myself more emotional just on it's much this harder. trip, even though I'm in a safe area. I watched a video. The there was a bombing in a residential area, and there's this video. There it was somebody shot in the aftermath, and he's walking through the the destruction, and a woman is screaming. Uh, Chernivts, I know
2: exactly, yeah. and she's saying like, yeah. deity. deity, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And, and I I had only seen because um, I'd anchored earlier in the day I would only seen a, a very edited 10 second piece of that video that CNN had put on the air and I Matthew chance had said that there was more to it um, and so when I had my program I, I asked uh, my executive producer Charlie to that I thought we should play more of it because the edit the, the, the little 10 second thing to me cut out any context, and I had no sense really of mm. what was really happening there. And so we ended up playing. I think it was a fifty-second chunk of it, and and we blurred out images of people on the, whose bodies were, were visible. But I I had not seen it until it aired, and I, I mean I completely I did lose it. Just I could not speak for for a few seconds. Already, according to the UN. At least 331 civilians have been killed so far. That number could grow. As back. a parent now, I far I react more emotionally than I ever have before because I've usually just tried to push all my emotions deep down inside.
2: I think with that video because I was actually on air with you when you were moved by it, and um, you know, and it was very hard not to be moved by it because that woman's shrieking is what made it all real on a human level.
1: Absolutely. First of
2: all, you're looking at this like apocalyptic scene post-explosion. You could be watching a Hollywood movie. You don't even know what you're really looking at. It's so alien. But when you hear that woman's cry,
1: 100%. that
2: visceral, blood-curdling cry, just crying out, children, children, that's when you that's when you realize the full extent of the horror and that's when you really feel it.
1: And I do think it's important to to see those moments and to hear those moments. And again, not in a, you know, exploitative way. You know, you want to be respectful to what people are going through and not shove a camera in someone's face who, you know, who hasn't done anything wrong and doesn't want a camera in their face. But but I do think, you know, we I think people should hear the, that scream and, mm. and understand I think it tells you something that a million words can't can't tell you.
2: No, I totally agree. I think there's, a, for me, there's a very clear line between gratuitous and exploitative, but then also not sanitizing war, not turning it into just a montage of big explosions mm-hmm. where you don't have that visceral sense of where those explosions are landing and whose lives they're destroying. And it can be as simple as one woman shrieking off camera to make it all come into sharp focus, the full scale of the horror of this utterly senseless war. Yeah.
1: Commissioner Ward, thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Anderson.
1: Yeah, it sounds stupid to say, but please be careful.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tug of War. We'll be releasing new episodes every Sunday and Wednesday. And for real-time updates, you can subscribe to CNN 5 Things wherever you listen. Tug of War is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by David Rind, Audrey Horwitz, Nathan Miller, and Paolo Ortiz. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer, and Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Special thanks to Andrew Morris, Courtney Koop, Ashley Lusk, and Elizabeth Roberts. Talk to you next time.
0: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness